Welcome to the What She Said podcast. My name is Candace Sampson. I am currently in the middle of divorce proceedings, working towards my psychology degree, dating for the first time in 20 years, raising three teenage girls, a senior dog, and two guinea pigs. And in the middle of all this, I thought it would be a good time to buy the What She Said media property. What could possibly go wrong? I've been in the trenches with women across Canada for over a decade now, oversharing on the Yummy Mummy Club, Life in Pleasantville, and on all my social media pages, and I totally do it for the gram. And now I'm coming to you on the radio at 105.9 The Region and on this podcast. Apparently, I have a lot to say. So let's get rolling. Renee Common-Levy is dying. There is simply no way to sugarcoat that reality. But this podcast isn't about her terminal cancer diagnosis, but rather about how Renee is living and thriving in spite of it. The last few weeks with this coronavirus lockdown have been a struggle for many of us, coping with a new reality, grieving over lost trips, jobs, events, and not to mention worrying about an unknown future. We could all learn something about resilience from Renee and about controlling the narration of our own lives even when we can't control the plot. So meet Renee. I can assure you that you'll never wish for a Friday again after listening to this podcast. Uh, Renee, I first, the first thing I want to say to you is thank you uh, for taking the time to talk to me. Um, when I saw your story the other day, I was so uh, moved. And I thought, I'm going to ask her to talk to me. And then when you said yes, I felt like, um, I guess, honored because you're really giving me a chunk of your time here. Thank you. So I'm, I'm, really, um, I'm really honored that you're here today to talk to us. And I feel like you can offer some lessons to us all right now um, in resiliency. Uh, yep. So let's start with um, sort of the beginning. I, I read your story. Um, in People Magazine. Yeah, that was such a cool moment. Yeah, um, but you know, I'm thinking maybe not the way you want it to be in People Magazine. <laughs> for sure not. It's obviously, I'd like to be in People Magazine for something other than having terminal cancer. Um, but I really do think that there's a lot of things that I've learned over the last five years by just since I've been diagnosed with cancer that really, it doesn't matter what, look, I look at it this way, that everyone during their life is going to encounter things that are out of their control. And you can't control what's happening to you, but there's, you can't control how you react to those situations. So I think that you don't have to have cancer in order to relate to my story, that there's the larger message there and going back to resiliency, I think that's, you know, the perfect word to sum it up that, you know, everyone has a choice in how they can react. Right. There's a, you know, there's that famous expression between a, there's a space between stimulus and response. Yep. Um, and you can choose how you're going to, to respond. Um, so you were diagnosed in 2015. Yes. Yep. With so, early stage breast cancer. What was that? How old were your children at the time? One and a half and three and a half. Um, I had just gone back to work and I was on a contract 
And in, I'd stopped breastfeeding my son in August when he was 13 months old. And in January of 2015, a lump literally just showed up overnight. It was not there one day and the next day it was there. And so I kind of kept an eye on it. And I told my husband, like, this is kind of weird. Can you touch this? And he was like, totally like creeped out. But you know, I was like, oh, it could be like a clogged milk duct. That's very common. You know, your hormones are changing. You know, I'll just wait till kind of after my next period and see. And how, how old were you at the time? Uh, 33 years old. So that's still, you know, in terms of thinking breast cancer, that's quite young. And especially because I had three grandparents alive at the time who were in their late 80s, early 90s, as well. Like my parents are healthy. Everyone was fine. You know, so, I did- so you're young, you're not staring down at, you know, a long list of hereditary factors that could possibly hear. So you're probably dismissing it as most of us would. Right. Do. Exactly. And I, you know, kind of waited for my period to see kind of what would happen. And it was still there. And then I kind of said, okay, you know, I'm going to wait again and kind of see. And at this point, this was mid-February. And my doctor at the time also had young children. So I couldn't see her because I was working during the day. So her clinic offered after hours. So I went after work and my doctor is a female and the, it was a male doctor who was available that day. And he was really rude. <laughs> Instead of saying like, this is really great that you're like getting this checked out. He was like, if you felt that this was really important, you would have missed work to come and see your own doctor. Yep. Wow. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say to that. I, I think because I, I, you're telling me this and I, in my mind, I'm going through things like, you know, I have um, like a, a little skin cancer on my nose. Okay. And literally, I kind of knew it was like precancerous, but I've been neglecting it for about a year. Right. Right. Cause we do these things, we get caught up in things and it's fine. I'll be fine. It's nothing. Um, so for a doctor to say that to you, it just seems so. Yes. And cool. then he, like, he checked me out and like, you know, he called the nurse in to be there. Like he did the proper things, but then, you know, he said 95% chance you probably just have, you know, either a clogged milk duct or like a cyst 5% chance it's cancer, but like, you're so young but here's an ultrasound script. We need to get it, like, figure out what exactly it is. Okay. Didn't eat, like, didn't even think anything of it. I was like, okay, 95% chance. Why would I go thinking that it's cancer? And then I went to the ultrasound. I think it took, like, 10 days to get in there for an appointment, and it was a Friday. And I went after work, like, 4 o'clock after work. You know, I'm going for an ultrasound. It was at the end of the block where I was working, and I'm lying on the table and, and I'd had lots of sports related injuries my whole life. So I knew that techs do not talk to you. Mm-hmm. They do their scan, do whatever they need to do and then move on. Right. And she said, do you want me to do the other side? Cause he had only given a script for my left side where the lump was. And I kind of looked at her and I said, well, are you telling me I need to get it done? Or are you asking me like, do I want to just do it for fun? Right. And she was like, hold on left the room, came back and said, the radiologist wants you to do the other side and have an emergency mammogram right away. At that moment, I knew something was not right. 
And then, you know, I did, we did the ultrasound. They had a mammogram machine there. I got taken in right away and they made me sit in a chair right after my mammogram with on the screen, you could see my left breast with like a giant white circle, like in magnified, like huge. And I'm sitting there in the robe and I said to the tech again, like, can I go and get dressed? Like she had me sitting there and she's like, no, the doctor wants to talk to you. And the radiologist was remote at the time. And the radiologist gets on the phone and says, it's not good. And I like started bawling. I'm like, I have two little babies at home. Yeah. I, I just, I, I, I can't, I can't imagine that moment. Like, so, and, and you're by yourself. You're by yourself, right. And in no time did the radiologist say, you know, do you have someone there? Are you sitting down? You know, I'm going to preface it by like, I'm going to give you some not so great news. This is what you, like, it was just literally, it's not good. You need to get your image and take it down to Princess Margaret as soon as possible. So like, (laughs) I was like, I can't take the bus home now. Because my brain was like, I'm dying. Like, what is going on here? And I literally sat on the couch crying the entire weekend. I, I yeah, that that's just um, so. There's definitely some uh, learnings in that process, not for you, uh, but maybe for the radiologist. Uh, so yes, and actually. By the time that I processed everything, I actually looked at doing a complaint against the radiologist, but it was just too chaotic in my life at that time that I didn't go through with it. But yep, (laughs) it was really upsetting. Yeah. So here you are, you have two young children. You've been diagnosed with breast cancer. Uh, So at this point we didn't know hundred percent it was breast cancer because I got, I was sent to princess Margaret to have a biopsy. Okay. And they have an amazing clinic at princess Margaret called the Gattuso rapid diagnostic clinic, which I was sent to, which means they do a biopsy in the morning. And by the end of that day, you are either diagnosed or you're cleared of breast cancer. Okay. And so, so you knew by the, at the end of that day. So March 13th, it was Friday, the 13th, <laughs> 2015. Um, I had the biopsy first thing in the morning and by four o'clock that day I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So now you know for sure. Yeah. And so from that moment, I'm going to assume from the time you saw the radiologist uh, until the time you started to receive treatment, I'm assuming this it was a bit of a blur? Yes. It's, for me, it was more the time that I actually went back to work in between doing the mammogram and doing the biopsy. I went to work for like four days. And then I was like, I can't be here anymore. And then I quit. (laughs) And I was just like, you know, because I was on a contract. And it was a a place that I'd worked for years and years and years. But because I didn't go back right away after my mat leave, you know, they didn't hold my job. Fine. Um, So I quit. And I was like, you know what? I just need to focus on me. But the time between my diagnosis to treatment was two weeks. And that was like, that was a blur. Like I couldn't, there were, I had to learn all the medical lingo. I had to understand all these doctors who were now in my life 
and what they were going to do for me. And then I had to research, you know, and then in that time too, you're waiting for your, so you're diagnosed with breast cancer, but you're waiting for the pathology to find out what type of breast cancer it is. Is it early stage? Is it late stage? Is it hormone positive? Is it hormone negative? What medications are the best to treat those different types? So, you know, and then medical oncologists, radiologists, all these people were never in my life before. And so you quickly have to learn, and even what all these scans mean, because they had to do all these different scans to rule out that it had spread at that time. You know, they have to do kind of their due diligence, and then they make the plan um, of how they're going to treat me. Okay, so did you, in that time period then, because um, I, I can only imagine the, um, the stress coursing through your body mm-hmm. during this, um, who did you turn to uh, for what must have been going on in your head? Were, were you offered therapy? Uh, were you a counselor? Oh, yeah, every, like, when the moment actually when I was diagnosed, so many people came into the room at that moment that it was like, it was almost like an outer body experience. So a social worker had come in right after the doctor had said, you know, you have cancer. Um, but my concern at that moment was like, how do I tell my kids? Yeah. Like, and that was kind of where my focus at that moment had gone. And I kind of said like the me therapy part, I'll worry about later. And it was offered the entire time I was in active treatment, which was nine months. And then it wasn't until kind of after I was done and everything's kind of shrinking in and sinking in to really say like, oh, what just happened to me? That then um, that's when I started seeing a therapist. Okay. So I read in the People article then that this is, you know, um, terminal. Yeah. So you didn't know that the first round. No. So when I was originally diagnosed, it was early stage breast cancer, hormone positive, HER2 negative, the best, as I was told, cancer, breast cancer kind of to have lots of treatment options. I went through um, six rounds of chemo, a double mastectomy, 25 rounds of radiation. Um, And then after that, my doctor said, okay, we're going to put you on hormone therapy for five to 10 years, go live your life. You're good. I'll see you in three months. And I was great. I was tolerating that medication. Amazing. And it wasn't until the summer of 2017 that I just started getting like a random weird pain in my back, but it always chalked up to something else. Like one day I ended up going on a really long walk in Birkenstocks. Well, that's not the smartest thing to do for three hours. Mm -hmm. And the next day I had a pain. And then that's when they kind of, you know, at a follow-up appointment, because to me, when you read about if cancer spreads, you're sick. Mm-hmm. You have pain that's debilitating, pain that gets worse, pain that doesn't go away. You know, you could lose weight. You would have all these other things. I had none of those. Like my pain would come and then it would go away. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, oh, we're up at the cottage for the summer. Eh, the beds aren't so great. Okay, it would make sense that I would have like a little pain if I'm sleeping on my side. And was the pain always in the same spot though? 
not know. So sometimes it would be like in my lower back. And when I went on that long walk, it was like radiating down my thigh a little bit, but it would come and go or I would get a massage and then I would feel great for 10 days. Mm. And then I would do something else. And it always kind of linked up to doing something that I was like, ah, maybe I just pulled the muscle mm-hmm. because everything I had read had said like, if it spreads, it's debilitating and it gets worse. So there was never at any point in your head, like in the back of your mind where you thought it's back. No. Okay. So what triggered you to then go back to the hospital? I just had a regular checkup. I had my regular checkup in September and you know, the doctor said, Oh great. You're tolerating the uh, hormone medication I was on. It was called tamoxifen. You're tolerating it. Great. I felt amazing. Mm. And you know, okay, everything's great. I had uh, started at a new job the previous January. Everything was looking up. And then I said, you know, just like out of curiosity, could I have arthritis in like in my back or in my thigh? And I said, you know, sometimes I get this pain. It's not a big deal. And that's when the doctor said, you know, we're going to do our due diligence, but like, I'm not worried about it. It doesn't sound like it at all. Okay. And I got sent for a bone scan and the results of the bone scan were that it had spread to lots of places in my body. At that time it was just in my bones. So it had multiple spots in my bones. And then um, we had decided to do 10 rounds of radiation. And that when you have terminal cancer, the radiation is considered palliative and not like how I had it the first time to kill the cancer cells. It's just to, it's a lower dosage to make you comfortable. Mm -hmm. But thankfully two and a half years later, it's worked for this long and it's kept the pain away, which is amazing. So uh, that moment being told terminal. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm like, I can feel the tears in the back of my eyes right now because I just, that moment, uh, what was that moment? Were you, first off, you weren't alone, I hope. No, my husband was with me. My mom had picked up our kids from school that day. So she was kind of nervous and eagerly awaiting the news. And I honestly thought the doctor was just going to walk in and say, like, you have arthritis. Mm. Like, never in a million years because I didn't feel sick. Right. Like, in my head... A terminal cancer patient is sick, Mm -hmm. but I didn't feel sick. I had no symptoms. Like I had no side effects besides a little nagging pain that came and went. Mm -hmm. Um, They literally said metastatic or terminal. It's called metastatic breast cancer, but I like to just say terminal because no one understands really what metastatic means. Right. so I use the word terminal and my ears literally just started and I've never had this before. It was like a whole body reaction where like I could not hear a word my doctor was saying. My ears started like this loud ringing noise and like that was, I, I couldn't even tell you what was discussed in that meeting. So this obviously changed everything. Yep. Everything. And, and you know, we, I think we all think about moments like this and how it would affect our life. 
Um, but where was there a moment for you? I mean, I can only imagine you've, you, you went through all of the steps of grief and, yeah. and rage and, you know, bargaining and all of those things that we would go through. But was there a moment that came to you through all of this, that there was this moment of clarity? So I guess the one thing, okay, so I'll, I will say first, the whole time since I was originally diagnosed with breast cancer, I've tried really hard to never say why me, ever, because I think you get put down this really dark hole that is not doing anyone any good. And I think when you, and this is to go for any situation, because I think when you start asking why me, why me, why me, and this goes back to what I said at the beginning, it's not doing you any good and it's wasting valuable energy making yourself upset. So I've, I've never gone down that hole and I really try never to. So instead what we did was we decided, you know, we told our siblings, we told obviously my parents, my husband's parents, um, and our closest friends we told, and that was it. And we said like, you can't tell anyone because we needed to process first what our plan was going to be going forward. And then at the same time, like, how do you tell our kids who are four and six at this time and a little um, older and more able to understand kind of the situation? Um, so it took us a pretty, it was a year until I came out, came out publicly mm -hmm. um, sharing it with everyone. Uh, by that time, we had had a plan, and it was one of those things that felt right for us. And I should say, again, there's no right or wrong way for anyone who is diagnosed with cancer or is going through anything. Everyone deals with it differently. I chose to be public about it, um, and I've said this since I originally shared my diagnosis in 2015. I want the news to always come from me and I don't ever want it to be a broken telephone situation. Mm -hmm. um, and I also want to be able to dictate that I don't want people ever to feel sorry for me. Right. Because I don't feel sorry for myself. You know, this is, again, this is what has happened to me and I can choose to cry about it. And in my mind, that would be wasting the time that I have mm -hmm. or you know, do these things in order to enjoy the time that I have. So we ended up selling our house, which at the beginning was extremely upsetting because, you know, you have all these hopes and dreams and we had a 10 year plan for our house to renovate it and do all these things. And then that's just done. And, you know, we went over, it's an older house do we want to take the money that we have to renovate this house or do we want to take the money and travel? And so we sold our house and we bought a condo and we ended up getting the condo and renovating it exactly how like I wanted it. So my stamp is everywhere. <laughs> so that was really exciting and really just focus on doing things together and doing things that, you know, my husband and I planned on doing when we were older and retired. So I think part of the reason that I was so drawn to the story after I read it was, was that it is clear you are controlling the narrative yes. of your life and not letting the disease control the narrative. Yeah. And I think for everybody, 
this is such a powerful thing to um, learn from, especially right now. Yes. <laughs> right? You know, because there is this, I don't know why, I mean, human nature, I guess, lots of people do this. They say that they feel that the universe is somehow conspiring against them. And it's not. <laughs> like, it's just not. And yep. we can all control how we respond to events and to things that happen. But they're not happening to us necessarily. This is life. Yep. Right? Um, but still, I think with, you know, not, not all of us know, like, when we're going to die or, or things like that. And, and you don't know either, but you just know that, it, you know, you're, you, this is coming for you because yes. of, of the diagnosis. Um, but the way you are responding to it, to, it, there's lessons for all of us right now in how um, we're viewing this, this current conditions because people are trapped in their homes and they've lost things. And like you said, you sold your home and you had to move. You have to adapt and you have to change, yeah. right? So what do you think people right now, from, from your point of view, like through your lens of, of yeah. what you've been through, what do you think people right now should be doing to sort of accept current circumstances? I think they need to focus on doing things that make them feel good. I think if you keep focusing on things that you're missing out on, like for example, my mom and I had tickets to Hamilton for Thursday night. And, you know, we've been looking forward to this for like so long since Mervish announced it. And sure, did we call each other on Thursday night and say like, oh, we were supposed to see Hamilton, you know, it popped up in our calendars. But instead of me like crying about that I wasn't seeing Hamilton, I put on the musical and I listened to the entire soundtrack Thursday night because that would, that's something that makes me happy. So I'm focusing on, and I think two people think it has to be big things. Like, you know, having a cup of coffee on my balcony sitting in the sun is something that I try and do for myself because it makes me feel good. And it's, it could just be five minutes. And I think if people focus on things that you can do to make you feel good about yourself and focus on little things that are nice. So instead of saying, oh, you know, I can't get my hair done or I can't see my manicurist. Well, maybe you can learn to paint your nails or maybe there's something else instead. And I think a lot of people are learning lots of different things. I think it's also a time to explore. Like I feel like my entire newsfeed is of people baking and everything. Yes. <laughs> they all need to stop because I feel I'm putting on weight just watching what's going by. <laughs> you know, there's like apple fritter bread is showing up everywhere. This apple fritter bread is out of control. I mean, I felt, I said that the other day, I was joking saying, I feel peer pressure to actually bake this bread because uh, it's everywhere. And my daughter actually baked it with me. Oh, did she? Funny. <laughs> um, but yes. And so the other thing too, though, that I think, what, you know, which you've probably already uh, come to terms with uh, because, uh, uh, you know, this is five years for you now, six years? Five years. It was just on March 13th was the five-year diagnosis anniversary. So I imagine, you know, uh, excuse the swear here, but you left, you let go of the bullshit pretty quick. Yes. <laughs> I think I was kind of not, I think I was always like a more... I didn't like to fluff things, but I never 
wanted people to feel bad. So I never liked to say no mm-hmm. to people. And now I think through this, I've very much learned like it's okay to say no because this isn't something that A, either makes me feel good or is something that I 100% want to do. Right. And so I think I've let go of all of that, um, which has been really nice. Right. There's, that's, that's a liberating feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. So just tell me, um, I, as a mom, the conversations with your children at this point, how are you managing that? Because they're still quite young. So eight and six. Eight and six. Yep. And so how are you managing those conversations? I mean, I I imagine this is not a daily thing. Uh, No, not at all. must, Must weigh on them. So my husband and I have worked extremely, extremely hard to keep their lives as normal as possible. Um, so if I have doctor's appointments, we might talk about it for a minute, but we don't harp on it. Um, they've had to come to the hospital a few times over five years and the hospital offers like a free childcare and the childcare is beyond phenomenal. Um, but we really try not to bring them to the hospital. They, my alarm on my phone is set twice a day to take my medicine. So they know. And, you know, my daughter will say, oh, did you take your medicine yet? Like, if she hears my alarm go off. Right. Um, so everyone knows what it's for. They know that, so this past July, we found out that the cancer has spread to my liver. Um, so we had to have the conversation when I started my new medication in September that the old medication was no longer working. They don't know where the cancer is. They don't know we've never really talked about spreading. We just use it in terms of the medicine is no longer working. So now mommy has to try a new medicine. And we talk about, you know, why it's important to raise money um, and where the money is going to charities to fund research because without research and without donating money to research, we can't find a cure. So we definitely talk about that correlation. Um, but we really try really hard for it not to come up at all on in the conversation. When it does, it's answered briefly um, and age appropriately. So I feel like you're a very grounded person to begin with uh, <laughs> before, before, you know, this diagnosis. Yeah. However, I think we all have those moments where we go, oh, why was I stressing about that? Yes. Um, so... How did it change your parenting? Um, I think it changed my parenting in the way that I just do things sometimes that really might probably make no sense to other people, but I don't care if it doesn't make sense to them. Like spur the moment, let's just go to the basketball game tonight where I kind of feel like two years ago I would have been, eh, you're going to stay up on a school night till 1030. What am I thinking? No. And so I think a lot of those, I do a lot of spur of the moment things. Like yesterday I was like, you know what? I'm this bakery I love near me is doing surprise cakes on Fridays. I'm just, I love a cake where I'm going to buy a cake and we're just going to have it for dessert. (laughs) Just lots of little spur of the moment things. Um, But I do think generally like when my kids are upset about something, 
you know, I try and kind of redirect him like, is this a big deal? Like, are you really getting upset over X, Y, and Z? Mm -hmm. Like, are you healthy? Yeah. Is this going to bother you tomorrow? No. Okay. So did you need to just waste all that energy on this? No. Okay. Let's move on. These are conversations we could be having with adults. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? But I think, I think it's hard in the sense that everyone tries, you know, and I'll say this about myself. Before my diagnosis, I would harp on something. If, you know, if I got an email from someone that was maybe not a positive email or something that happened at work, I would harp on it. And now I'm just like, what was I doing wasting all that time and energy on something that I had no control over? Like they sent me that email and I let it ruin a good chunk of my day. Why? Right. And I actually find sometimes when I read my Facebook memories, it actually really upsets me because it was like, why a lot of the time it's like, I'm waiting, you know, it'll be a post on a Monday saying like, I can't wait till Friday. Well, why was I wasting away that whole week? Why was I so focused on just getting to Friday? Right. Why wasn't I saying like, okay, great. Like, you know, I work with kids. I worked with kids who had autism. Like, how amazing is it that this kid on this day learned to sit down or learned to move their head when their name was called? Like those are massive. And obviously they were celebrated, but why was I wasting away a whole week? Right. Yeah. Why are we wishing away our lives? Yeah. Right. And so Monday can be just as good as Friday. It it just depends how you're dealing with it. A hundred percent. And like, then I also wonder like, why wasn't I going out during the week and doing things? Yeah. Like, you know, why? I, it's funny too, this pandemic, you know, time has become this very weird thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I, I was joking about it on Twitter the other day. Like, I'm like, I feel like Monday's got a bad rap. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like we, you know, we've been harshing on Monday for a while now and every day is sort of a Monday now or a Saturday or yes. every day can be a Friday. It's really exactly. you, how you are going to um, approach that. Yep. So there's, there's some valuable lessons in, in sort of time right now. Um, so speaking of time, uh, you, you've given me 30 very valuable minutes. And Thank I you. appreciate it. Um, so if you have any sort of advice that you could offer anybody right now, what would it be? My advice would be, I love the line from Rent, and I actually got it tattooed, is no day but today. And ever since I got diagnosed, I've been living by that phrase. And I think in this pandemic, no day but today. Focus on today. Have an amazing, amazing day. Don't worry how many days we've been in quarantine or isolation. Make today count and have a good one. Amazing. So if people want to find you online, where can they find you? Um, Twitter and Instagram is M at MSC, mommy, M-O-M-M-Y, life, L-I-F-E. And on Facebook, it's my so-called mommy life. Incredible. Thank you so, so Thank much. Thank you. It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating. 
and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.